Scano Sego Ani Bojo Kwekwe Tansi. Good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth on Element FM. You are listening in Toronto and Ottawa. In Ottawa at 95.7 and in Toronto at 106.5. You could also be listening on the Radio Player app if you have downloaded that app. Or if you haven't, you could download it and then type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM and you can listen on your device, device of choice anywhere across the country. So welcome to the show, and I would also like to welcome our guests uh, in the studio this morning. Coming up later on in the show, though, we're going to have uh, a call-in from our Ottawa studio, and uh, we are going to be talking with, uh, later on, about 11.45 or so, um, Cody Coyote, and he is uh, a musician, he's a hip-hop artist and a rap artist, and he is also associated with the radio station, but he's going to be uh, starting a new show here on Element FM, and we're going to be talking to him about that and a couple of other things. But at the moment, I would like to welcome two people into the studio. We have with us this morning, and we're pleased to have them, and we have Dean Burry and Yvette Nolan. And if you don't know those names, let me tell you a little bit about these people that are sitting next to me. Yvette Nolan is a celebrated Algonquin playwright and librettist, a fancy word, I must say. <laughs> and uh, she's from Newfoundland. Uh, no, rather, she isn't. It's uh, Dean, who is from uh, Newfoundland. Uh, he's a composer. And they, are, they have put together this really cool uh, opera, and it is uh, called... No, I've forgotten how to say it properly. Shauna Dithit. Shauna Dithit. <laughs> it's that W in there that keeps wanting me right to, to do something with it. Shauna Dithit. And if you're not familiar with that, you're going to learn all about it today. And it is a very fascinating story, I can tell you. So let me tell you just a little bit more about both of them. So Dean Burry, he's a composer and librettist, and he was born in St. John's, New Brun- Newfoundland. He grew up in the town of Gander, and uh, he has uh, done a number of things, including uh, he's the 2011 recipient of the Ontario Arts Foundation Louis Applebaum Composers Award, and Yvette is a playwright, dramaturge, and director, and her plays include Anime's Movement, The Unplugging, Gabriel's, Gabriel DeMont's Wild West Show, and a number of other things. She is also the editor of Beyond the Pale, a dramatic writing for First Nation writers and writers of color. That's just a little bit about these people who are sitting next to me, so I'd like to welcome both Dean and Yvette to the show today. Thank you so welcome. much. Welcome. So listen, uh, this opera... Sounds really interesting. And, and Dean, as you're from the East Coast, um, is this something that you were familiar with growing up? That you, you knew this story? Yeah, this story. I, I grew up in, in, as I mentioned, in Gander. And my, my mother was from Puckins, uh, which was on the shores of Red Indian Lake. My uh, grandparents lived in Twillingate, which was a kind of a big part that figured in this story as well. So it's something that I grew up with the whole, uh, you know, when I was young. It was something that we were taught in school. But even then, like in the in the late 70s and the early 80s, this this story of the, the of Shauna Dittin and the Beothic obviously was was almost treated in a bit of a like a myth, like a bit of a legend, you know, and that, that these weren't real people that were there 200 years ago. Uh, and so... Um, there's, I mean, there's something lovely and romantic about that, but there's also something disingenuous about mm. that as well. Mm. So I think even growing up, I was very interested about what, you know, what the, the story was behind this, what, what really was behind this, um, this tragic tale, obviously, mm-hmm. of, of a loss of a cultural group of people, um, you know, and, and also the fact that people didn't know it. Uh, you know, certainly when I came here to Toronto and I mentioned that name, um, nobody knew who they were. So I, I always felt kind of this was something that, I'd love to try to find a way to get out in another way, you know. 
Yeah, so why don't we start there with the history of the of the people from the East Coast that many of us, you know, didn't don't know anything about. It's and it's it, I have heard the name in the last little while and I cannot remember how it was and what it was associated with, but it, it does seem like this was a group of of indigenous people that as you pointed out sort of lost in in history and time and and not many of us have heard about. Right. It's, you know, it's, and it's funny as well, too, because, I mean, there's that wonderful novel, there's that wonderful book, The Inconvenient Indian. (laughs) Mm. Uh, And uh, in that book, it talks a lot about the fact that the inconvenient fact is the fact that they didn't disappear. (laughs) Yeah. Right? right. So in a sense, the Beothic could be looked at as the convenient Indian. And (laughs) and that story was gone and that the settlers that came there didn't have to deal with that issue. Um, Mm. I mean, certainly the, 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 um, there's a lot of indigenous groups associated with Newfoundland as well, too. The Inuit, the Inuk, Mm -hmm. obviously the Mi'kmaq have been there for a very long time as well. Um, but the Beothics certainly were the were the dominant group at the time that Europeans started arriving. I guess that was 1497 that John Cabot first came over. Um, and so, in fact, all these terms, redskins, you know, all of these mm. things come from the, the Beothic. The Beothic covered themselves in red ochre. And, and, and those, those kind of initial contacts were the things that um, – that that kind of created the, the stereotypes that went back to Europe, or mm-hmm. the, the tropes that went back to right. Europe. Um, I think you know one of the main things with the the Beothic is, of course, all indigenous groups suffered under you know uh, settlers and colonial um, impact. But the Beothic never managed to make real contact. Earlier, early in their in their history, there was a time when there were some recorded good meetings, but for the most part. English settlers moved into the northeast shore of Newfoundland, which was their the Beothic summer home. Mm-hmm. They spent the summer basically on the shore, uh, fishing, uh, getting shellfish, those kind of things, and then they wintered near Red Indian Lake, which is where the caribou herds were as well. But when the English kind of started coming and staying longer during the year uh, with fishing, that pushed them out of those plots, and and and, and instead of kind of any sort of Trade developing, obviously the beaver trade, the fur trade was something that that began relationships between the Beothic and, and settlers in other areas. The Beothic retreated. And so um, uh, gradually the, the group was kind of whittled down through starvation because of lack of uh, resources, um, sickness obviously as well. Um, and, and listen, it's Newfoundland, mm, right? Mm. Newfoundland is a tough place to live yeah. at the best of times. Right. So, so existence there really was so tied into – the resources of the land, and when those things were denied, the Beothic, they just couldn't continue. Now, even the name Beothic is it has a a, a really interesting sound to it, um, and and it sounds like it's you know removed or something from long time ago, uh, and, and it certainly has a different tone in in terms of the the kind of language that was spoken. And when you mentioned that they they retreated. In the little bit of, of, um, of research that I did, they, they seemed like a people that didn't really want to really mix with Europeans that much. And I read something about that um, uh, when Shana Dithit was, was asked to uh, do something that they said, no, no, they, they'd kill people. To go back to her people. <laughs> yeah. thing. That, that's something that you've dealt with in the, in the libretto of the opera as well, right? Yeah, I mean, in the story that we're telling, the things that we know about mm. Shana Dithit and the story, um, she was she was five years in the house of a judge, and then this man Cormac, who had been trying to make contact with the last mm. the last of the Beothic people, he traveled all over Newfoundland looking for them, trying to meet them, mm. trying to sort of capture some of their culture, and uh, and wasn't able to meet them, 
and then he discovers that Shauna Dithit is in is working as a maid in this judge's mm. house, and he goes to see her, and uh, and is so excited because he can he can learn something about her. He takes her to St. John's, and she lives with him for the last few months of her life. And he the whole time he's like, "Where are your people? Mm. How can I find them? Mm. If we could find them, we could reunite." And she's like, "Yeah, no." No, because because we don't want to meet your people. Like <laughs> nothing about contact mm. has been good for us, and right. therefore, no. And so, even if there had been a hope of of reunion for mm-hmm. her with the last of her people, wherever right. they had gone off to, our our idea is that she would not have done that. Yeah, because they had. You know, we also tell the story. One of the drawings that she had made is about the taking of Mary March, which was the English name given to Demostowit, her aunt. And they had taken her, the the colonizers had taken her and taken her to St. John's to try and build, ostensibly to build some kind of relationship between the Beothic people and and the settlers. And she got tuberculosis. She got Mm. the coughing sickness. Mm. And so they returned her Mm. and she died Mm. from the coughing sickness. And that was sort of like, so the Beothic, no wonder they're running away from the settler. It's like nothing you do. And Dean's written a beautiful piece of Mm. of music inside the opera Mm -hmm. about... You men of the world and the things, the gifts that you bring us, coughing sickness, mm. guns that rain fire on our people, right, right. like nothing about this relationship yes. is good. Yes. Which is kind of one of the reasons we're do, we're telling the story because here we are 200 years later trying to make some kind of good relationship with the people who, who came after us, mm. right? So we're trying to make a new relationship. We're all, you know. There's this lots of talk about, I'm making air quotes, reconciliation (laughs) these days. But how do we make reconciliation if we've never actually had conciliation, Mm -hmm. right? So we have to start further back. And that's part of telling this story is like if we're going back to Shauna Dithit in the early 1800s, then we are... We're looking at how long this relationship has been dysfunctional between First Nations and the people who came after Mm -hmm. and how that has brought us to this moment now where we're all grappling with the results of residential Mm -hmm. school, scoop, Mm -hmm. um, everything, Mm -hmm. right? So that's part of the story is like how is the past connected to the present and what can we do with that to go forward in a good way? Yeah, because, I mean, you know, the bottom line is, no, we can't change what the past was. But we can change the way we look at it. We yes. can reframe of what actually happened. And listen, we're we're a couple of artists. Mm-hmm. I mean, this we've created an opera about the story of Shana Did. We're not necessarily saying that this is the absolute truth either. Sure. But it's another perspective. And yes. it is so different to be seeing this story told from an indigenous perspective mm-hmm. than just from the colonial perspective that it's always been framed in. Of course, of course. And uh, let's talk about that a little bit later. But before we move on, can we talk a little bit more about what, because I'm sure that when you started to research and go into this, I'm sure you found other things or you discovered things about the, the, the Beothic people themselves. So what do we know about them that you can share with us that, that adds to the story? I think like one of the things as well, too, my, as I mentioned, my grandparents lived down in Twillingate. And so part of my research, but, you know, I've been kind of working on this in, in one form or another for about 20 years. Yep. I did my master's degree at mm. U of T and as my thesis was a small part of this story, mm. where the, the point of the story where Shauna did it and her mother mm. and her sister basically give themselves up. Um, and like I say, I, I pretty quickly discovered that this wasn't going to be my story 
Patel exclusively in this way. I needed to find a different way to do it. But when I was doing those research, uh, that research, and certainly down in Twillingate, well, there's a lot of people down there that believe that they actually have um, Beothic blood as well. Mm. Um, and I think that, again, like that, 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 there was this real definite story when I was growing up and in school that Shauna did it, the last of the Beothic. That sounds great, right? Isn't mm. it the last of the Mohicans? It, yeah. Yeah. Like, that sounds like a really yeah. good title for a sure. movie, right? Sure. Um, but great titles and reality are two separate <laughs> sure, things. So I think that I think that that's the the thing is that um, that I discovered was that first moment. And, and now in talking with all our Mi'kmaq collaborators that we're working with, uh, the reality that no, this just wasn't the end. You know mm-hmm. that this wasn't the end, and and it and it does go on. And we need people to kind of start coming out and and acknowledging that. I think you know it it really changes the story a great deal. Um, when you say this, this wasn't the end or this isn't the end, what do you mean by that? Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of takes that we're doing in the libretto as well, too, with the, with the 12 or the, or the 14, right? That yeah. Way? And when we did an early libretto workshop, once I had, you know, which is, Dean had not written any music yet. Mm. It was, it was the story essentially mm. and the words in the mouths. And we did the workshop, uh, with, with uh, the, some of the Mi'kmaq artists and Marion Newman, who was playing Shauna Dithit. And there was a real, a real challenge to the idea that the Beothic people were gone. Um, one of the things was she talks about the numbers of people who are left and that 12 took off around the lake. And in, so in the, in the libretto, I, I made the Cormac say, um, what about the 12? Where are the 12 gone? We kind mm. of left that door open mm. so that those 12 Beothuk people could have gone on and continued to, to you know, have a community elsewhere so that they actually, there is actually a, a, a Beothuk bloodline going on in Newfoundland, maybe mm. Nova Scotia, like further on like that. That's part of it. Um, there's, you know, the Mi'kmaq and the, and the Beothuk were neighbors. So there was intermarriage, there was mm-hmm. community. So the, the Beothuk go on in that. Okay. So th- those are the things we were playing with and, and then also the idea that because Shauna lived, because she left these sketches for us, and that now, 200 years later, we're responding to these things and creating art out of them, that we are all sort of kind of or the artistic descendants of this woman okay. and her work. Just to follow up on what she was yeah. saying as well, too, that, that the whole idea of the 14 that went around the Great Lake for, I remember from my history books that exact same thing. So you read that little bit, and then it was immediately followed up by, they may have integrated with other groups, uh, but there's no kind of proof of that. And mm. th- that, like that cast-off sentence, mm. which, wait a minute, like that's huge. Right. That is huge. <laughs> there may not even be a proof, but we can't ignore that fact. <laughs> the difference between the, the utter genocide of a people or the fact that a, a, a group of people like this go on. Mm-hmm. That's important. And that, but that's the kind of things that traditionally in the past have been let right. go. That's right. That's, we don't Correct. need to worry about yep. that because that yep. just complicates yep. things. Yep. Right? So uh, having said that, do we know if if some of their culture or practices or language has somehow hmm. you know moved on? Or? It's funny because the source material for for this piece is very much through the colonial gaze, mm, right? It's sure. like Cormac, Howley, yep. like the people who wrote those things yep. down. Yep. The lexicon we have, we have like what, 300 words in Beothic that we, mm-hmm. that were written mm-hmm. down, but of course they were written down by a white guy mm-hmm. who was trying to decipher what was being said to yes. him in Beothic. Yes. So 
Yes. And you'll, you'll notice the fact that we're saying the na- the word Beathak, Beathak, Beathak. We <laughs> yes. struggled with this as well, We also right? have rules like within the room, right? right? Like the colonial way of saying it is Beathak, right? Beathak. Beathak, right? Yeah. But the, but when, they, when the people who are Beathak sing it, mm. they say, and the Beathak will live again. Uh. So that's a – and that's like we don't know because right. – Howley's dead. Cormac's like even yeah. the people who wrote those things down sure. are dead. Sure. So it's all it's about transmission of knowledge as mm-hmm. well and how we keep culture. Mm-hmm. And because we are, you know, so much uh, oral cultures and we have always kept our kept our teachings and our stories mm-hmm. inside of oral traditions. When you lose the people and you lose the tongue, you lose the story. And so we the only things we have left are either what Shauna Dith had wrote down or what Howley and Cormac wrote down about us in the same way that, you know, so much of what we know about about other nations is from the Jesuit relations. Like we yeah, have sure. to take take information from where we can get it. So those guys were writing things down and then we have to reinterpret what does a white Jesuit see when he sees this ceremony right. and what does that mean to me as an indigenous woman? And that's a very interesting way of looking at it. But of course, we could we could extrapolate on that because you could say, yes, that's the written version, but there is the oral uh, tradition of of passing down knowledge that is indigenous, and I'm just wondering, do you did you guys come across any of that of the oral side of things from the Mi'kmaq? What what well from the Mi'kmaq exactly? Yeah. What yeah, it, yeah. that's the way that it exists now right. for sure, because there's no Beothic that we can go to and right. talk to. Right. However, in connecting and like one of the most special moments for me of this whole process was last June we were down in St. John's. We were working um, – because this is a co-production with Opera on the Avalon, which mm-hmm. is a group uh, in St. John's as well. Um, and they had brought in um, Eastern Owl, which is a music troupe, a drumming group, Mi'kmaq, okay. d- uh, down in – all women, down in uh, St. John's. And we did – we workshopped some of the material. Now, granted, like, normally when we do an opera workshop, it's a fairly – you know, you've got your orchestra and you've got your, your sure. certain way of doing things. Of course. Yeah. But we were in a nice big circle. And the music really kind of is inspired by this as well too. There's a real sense of community in the music. And I felt that – Sharing that music at that point with them was a, a real turning point for me and realized that, that this opera had to come together in – it always had to maintain that sense of a circle. It had to man, maintain that sense of sharing. Uh, and, and, and that's because the Mi'kmaq in Newfoundland and Labrador right now are really carrying the torch and really um, you know, our, our Mi'kmaq artists who are, are, have worked, Megan Mousseau and Jordan Bennett uh, and Jerry Evans, their work in the opera – brings the Beothic to life in a really remarkable way. This, I mean, so much opera is about death if you think about traditional opera. Mm. Um, this is an opera about, quote, unquote, the end of a people. So you imagine it to be very much about death as well. But it's really an opera about life. Yeah. And a lot of that comes obviously from Yvette's uh, libretto, but also the incredibly vibrant artwork that has come from our collaborators. Ah, okay. Well, let, we'll, we'll we should talk about the set and those kind of things in a moment. But... Um, I want to ask you about something else, and this popped into my mind. Maybe this is way off base, uh, and I'm not sure if it's related at all. But you talked about the Beothic as as uh, you know, painting themselves in red ochre and those kind of things. And I can't, I couldn't help but, but my mind went to mummering. <laughs> and I'm wondering, is that somehow associated with the East Coast mummering? Uh, I, I mean, I think that the Othic used red ochre for a lot of things. I think there was a lot of religious quality to mm. it as well. Also, I, my understanding is that it's just really good at keeping the damn nippers off you or the flies, <laughs> right? Sure. right? Uh, which is, I think, in Newfoundland an important thing as well, too. Um, you know, <clears throat> it raises the point, though, mummering in Newfoundland really comes from the fact that it is a pretty bleak place. Mm. 
And in times of bleakness, you need to find ways to be able to celebrate. Mm. Um, so there is a, a good possibility that that, mm. you know, that that I think they're two separate traditions, but two separate traditions that at times maybe served similar purposes. Right. Okay, interesting. So listen, we're getting very close to uh, taking a break. In fact, we can take it right now. And we will uh, take a break here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. But don't go away because we will be right back with Dean Burry and Yvette Nolan to talk more about Shawana Dip. Shauna Dippet. Jeez, you say it so perfectly Shana when Dippet. we're talking. That, sounds, that sounds like a good opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back, and I'll get the correct uh, pronunciation for this yet after this. Shauna Dippet. Yes, indeed. We are back on Moment of Truth, and we have two guests with us in the studio. We have uh, librettist uh, uh, and playwright Yvette Nolan. We also have composer Dean Burry with us, and they are talking about Shauna Dippet. It's an opera that they have been working on. And they're going to be presenting, and it's going to be actually starting tomorrow uh, at the Imperial Oil Theatre in Toronto tomorrow from May 6th to the 25th. And uh, we'll try and give you maybe some more information about that near the end of the program. But right now, I want to get back into uh, talking about the opera and the people, the Beothic people, and the inspiration behind this, and uh, Shauna Dithit, who is the, the sort of the main character that this is based around. When did you guys start working on this together? Together was about, as I mentioned briefly, about 20 years ago was the first time that I kind of started yeah. working on this project. But then it just, it, I, it, it wouldn't go away. It wouldn't leave my mind, but I, it just wasn't finding the right way to come forward. Mm-hmm. I would say about five years ago when I think, you know, in, I think Indigenous issues around the time of Truth and, truth and Reconciliation, Indigenous issues became more on the minds of a broader group of Canadians. Um, I thought that maybe it's the time to bring this piece okay. up again. Because, you know, uh, when you're talking about this, this is very much a piece about, although it, of course, celebrates the Indigenous life and the, the life of Shana did it, it, it is also the story of William Cormack and his attempts in that world 200 years ago to try to, to make a difference, mm-hmm. try to get past his own way of doing things, right. you know, uh, and to actually find a way to relate to Shana did it. Um, so I, I figured it was a time to have another crack at this. So I contacted Tapestry Opera, uh, Michael Morey is a good friend of mine here in Toronto. And they're a, a company kind of really known for breaking the barriers of what opera okay. is. Because not only is there a lot of stereotype by Canadians associated with Indigenous life, mm. there's a lot of stereotype associated with opera as mm. well. Mm. Um, and uh, Michael at Tapestry and, the, and the, the crew at Tapestry do a great job of breaking down that old European art form and making it very relevant, very diverse, and very modern. And I raised this possible idea with them. And the first thing they said was, that sounds great. It sounds wonderful. But you need to find uh, someone from the indigenous community as a librettist. Mm. And Yvette and I had met. We had I never even really worked together, but I, I was working with her husband. Uh, and we had met about 20 years ago down on the East Coast. And even at that time, I'd started talking about it. And so um, I had to get her phone number from someone else. I'd seen you a few times here in Toronto. <laughs> But I needed to call our friend Charlie and say, "What? Uh, do you know what her phone number is? And, <laughs> and, and, and I called her up and I said, Yvette, this might be a weird request, but um, you remember that opera that I was talking about years and years ago? Would you be at all interested in writing it? And there was a pause. And I could hear her mind mm. working kind of thing. And Yvette, mm. you want to kind of take over from there? <laughs> I knew Dean was fascinated with Shauna Diffitt and mm-hmm. like he'd been obsessed with her mm-hmm. when I knew him 20 years ago. And of course, there was a. This was right around the sesquicentennial, like mm-hmm. the you know the commemoration of the 
whatever, Canada, this place we agree to call Canada. Mm. And so I knew there was a lot of, there were a lot of groups sort of looking to do work that was about uh, First Nations or Indigenous life or inclusive of Indigenous people. And I was like, okay, so this is interesting. But I knew Dean was fascinated with Shana Dithit. I knew that, I knew that story. And for me, it's like a founding narrative for this country about, you know, the intersection of two cultures and what happens and so I was like, uh, sure, that sounds good. Sure, put me on the on. And then we started, you know, Tapestry. Once I was on Tapestry, started raising the money to make the work. And that's four years, right? Like four years of like back and forth. And, you know, the way I wanted to do it was not just write it from my perspective, because I'm not, I'm not an East Coast Indigenous person. I'm Algonquin. My people are in Quebec. And... You know, we're kind of related to the Mi'kmaq, but it's all like we're like sort of separated from each other. So I wanted to bring in other artists who were closer to her, which is how we ended up bringing in Jordan Bennett and Jerry Evans, Megan Musso, a bunch of Mi'kmaq creators from their visual artists, mostly from the East Coast. And that made and then it started to pop open. So, you know, writing the libretto was uh was long both because I I wrote the story, but I also just wrote holes where we would plug the other artists in, and then Dean also wrote holes in his in his composition in the in the composing of the opera because he couldn't do that music until we knew what the what the visual artists were doing, mm. and um and that's why I mean it, everything opera takes a while right mm-hmm, like opera mm-hmm. everything takes time to make. Uh, this was four years, but it's also it was fairly quick in the end to. To get it done, and uh, Dean certainly had to do a do a fast finish in the last in the summer. Th- that approach with the collaborator collaborators yeah. as well too, because you know generally as a composer in an opera, you're the one who's who's. I mean, traditionally when we think of opera, we don't know who the librettists. I mean, we know who they were, but you don't know their names. You know mm. Mozart, you know mm, Wagner, right, right. <laughs> you know Puccini. The composers are the ones that kind of rise up and kind of yeah. s- subsume everything. You know. And again, that couldn't happen this way because of the nature, because of what this project was about. Mm. It couldn't happen this way. Now, you know, I'm I'm probably the one who spent the most time working on it by a factor of about 10, mm. just because getting in your basement and writing all those notes is, is months and months and months and months. Sure. Um, but, uh, but I really wanted to sit back and wait, you know, because uh, normally what you would do in a situation like this is the composer would write, uh, you know, if you take a traditional French opera or something that has a ballet in the middle, the composer would write the ballet and then a choreographer would come in and stage it and do the right. dancing. But again, it just didn't feel right for me to be dictating what our collaborators' in, in impressions were of Shauna did its work. So um, I was very, very happy to let. So you know, there was um, Michelle Olson is our choreographer. Aria Evans is a beautiful dancer in the in the performance. They got together and staged one of the sketches with no music from me whatsoever. And I was able to look at their work and then write the music to what they had done. Mm. That feels like. A different process, sure, yeah. a different process. And again, just listening, you know, as a white composer, opera composer, listening and watching and being inspired by that as opposed to saying, here's what you need to do. Go do it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's very much been a, a big part of the process. And at times not easy. And I know that there are people there were people like in February, like, where's the score? I need the score, you know, <laughs> but it, it took a little longer process just to kind of honor that. So it is an interesting process that you're you're talking about and and getting the collaborators that you did that were indigenous to be brought in and how that affected the whole thing. You mentioned earlier 
about uh, you, you sitting in a circle and and uh, there must have been a lot of exploring I'm guessing in terms of ideas in terms of uh, people's heritage or people's culture and how that blended into this mm-hmm. it is and you know one of one of the things that came out of the I mean there's a, a beautiful soundscape that Dean has made this is so much not a traditional opera I mean some of it is very like what one would expect when you go to the opera but some of it is like rocks and shakers and it's the sound of the wind and the sound of the waves and and the sound specifically of pebbles mm. when the when the tide comes when the wave comes in and then pulls back and the pebbles go <laughs> so Dean is, has scored that and we play it like that's part that's the way the the opera opens so there's a huge element of uh nature and we did that in St. John's in the circle Dean handed out like water bottles with popcorn and beans inside of them and a bunch of rocks. And uh, and then we did that. The Everyone who was in the room, the mm. singers, mm-hmm. the, the drum group, the Eastern Isle yep. drum group, the technicians, and we were conducted. And, and that was a thing that that I mean, it both begins and ends the opera. So right. that's quite different. That's the kind of collaboration it was like mm-hmm. it's everyone who has touched this opera along the way has has participated in the creation of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know even even the name shauna dithit is it has a mystery it has a a very alluring kind of a of of, of enticing and 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 i want to know more you know it draws you in just that name and, I think. Wow, and my goodness that's had so much to do with the score of this opera people ask the question right off the bat like i mean are you are you writing uh, indigenous music in this? And there have been a lot of indigenous operas, and I know other composers who have been able to go to elders and kind of work in a community to learn a little bit more about mm-hmm. indigenous music. But it was never my intention, especially because we don't have the Beothic to go to, exactly. to try to recreate Beothic music. Mm. And from a very simple standpoint, it, that can be problematic. If you have a drum playing four beats, it sounds like traditional powwow music or it sounds like traditional music so trying to find ways to kind of go beyond that and uh and create music that was really um integral to my experience and shauna did his experience as well and like the point that i came from in talking about the nature is that that is something we shared mm. i have been on the same beaches that shauna did it was i've been in the same rivers that shauna did it was in and uh the sounds of newfoundland mm-hmm. so the tides and the winds and the rain all those things are things that we shared mm-hmm. um as, as I'm, you know, there, it's obviously something very important to Newfoundlanders. The weather is, you know, tends to be a, a, a deciding factor of everything you do. But right. of course, nature sounds and, and nature is a very big aspect of Indigenous culture as well. So at the very first libretto workshop, and I should mention as well too, kind of for, for your listeners, that the libretto is the words of an yes. opera. Thank um, you for explaining oh, that. Oh, yeah, gonna... no problem. Because it is a fancy word. <laughs> it is even a fancy the, even word. the word opera, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a very fancy <laughs> Italian thing. Opera is storytelling using every art form. That's, okay. the, that's what it is, right? And the libretto is the words. Yes. Um, so uh, when we did the first uh, libretto workshop about a year and a half ago, um, Yvette starts the libretto off with seven repetitions of the name Shauna did it. Mm. And our actors that we had there performing did it in a very stylized, stylized way. So they were saying, Shauna did Shauna did it. Shh. And I heard this shh mm, sound, right? Right. And from that, of course, came the sounds of the tides. Of course. Came the sounds of the winds. And even the dithit, the dithit, this part, right. the rocks. Yes. So, you know, Yvette talked about the fact that, mm-hmm. that shakers and rocks are a mm-hmm. big part of these soundscapes. Mm-hmm. So we even have the shh of the shakers and the of the rocks. Yeah. So her name became a hugely important part of the score, definitely. 
Yeah. And naming is so important for us, right? Like the who gives names, who gets to call us things. Mm-hmm. Shauna Dithit was given a Christian, using air quotes, a yes. Christian name. They called her Nancy April, which right. is, a, you know, a name mm-hmm. and the month that she was taken. Mm-hmm. So, how you know, the way they took our names away from us and gave us Anglo names, they gave Shauna Dithit mm-hmm. Nancy April. So for me... In writing the libretto, I wanted to reclaim her name. And so we start with her name being spoken by the ancestors mm-hmm. and we end with her name so mm-hmm. that we get that back. We get our names back. Hmm. Um, so you've you've started this. You're working on it together. You've explored this. You're bringing other people in. And thanks for explaining about the name and how that in, uh, is in pulled in. Oh, I wanted to just, just maybe... Uh, challenge you a little bit on the, the the four beat of the of the powwow drum because I, if I'm not mistaken, that's that's that four beat is more of a more of a non-indigenous side of thing. The heart, it's the heartbeat. It's right. more, that's the powwow, right? Okay. That's the powwow drum. It's more boom 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 uh, rather than boom 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 boom, which is what we hear all the time in the you know well, in exactly. Hollywood. And yeah, that's, Hollywood. And that's yeah. what I wanted to avoid because yeah. there's yeah. so many Hollywood right. tropes of of what that sound is. Right. And that is what I, you know, definitely yeah. wanted to avoid yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Anyway, just a point of clarity yeah, there. Right. <laughs> um, so, um, so thank you for for sharing all of that. Now, as you mentioned, it's an opera. Operas, you generally think of something that is grandiose in many ways. You think of uh, large sets. You think of uh, uh, maybe large, fancy, flowing gowns. And and if it's a, if it's an opera, in terms of the the vocal dexterity of the of the singers, you know. Um, uh, huge tenors, you know, and sopranos that are just uh, shaking the roof off the place and things like that. So um, how did you go about finding the talent, uh, getting the people involved, and how large of an opera is this? How many people are involved? It's uh, It feels really large to me. Uh, we have six singers mm-hmm. led by Marion Newman, who's mm-hmm. the indigenous okay. Stolo Kregu mm-hmm. uh, mezzo-soprano, and then uh, – Rebecca Cuddy is Métis, Evan Corbett is Nish, mm. uh, Asita is uh, Sri Lankan. Deanthas Inuk. Deanthas Inuk. Uh, and who, are, who am I missing? Oh, and, and uh, Clarence, who plays Cormac. Clarence Fraser, yes. Is uh, Korean-Canadian. Mm. And so it's uh, – there's a talent. You know, like once you actually – are able to see people of color and indigenous people, it's like, mm. oh, they're, they're everywhere. There's a lot. I mean, both Dean and I wrote for Marion. We knew she was our Shauna Dithit from mm. the beginning because she is she's stellar, fantastic. She's beyond mm. what we could have hoped for. So we both wrote for her, which right. is fantastic. Um, and then the, we have a choir. The, the orchestra is 11 pieces. The maestro is up there with her. Rosemary Thompson, who's a fantastic... Yeah. conductor who needs to be seen more in Toronto, definitely. Oh, she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aria Evans is the dancer who dances, so she is part of the chorus. It feels really big to me, although it's not as big as others. Like, it doesn't have as many yeah. bodies as others. Sure. But, you know, it's a good point that you make because we've spent a lot of time in these in various interviews talking about how this is not traditional opera. Mm-hmm. The voices are soaring and gorgeous. The orchestra is immense. The, the set Will I think will blow people away too. Mm. It feels like a very epic mm. piece, and yet incredible intimacy within that as mm. well. Nice, you know. And and the other question I was going to ask, but you kind of it's it's kind of an answer. But that was, why did you guys feel this lent itself so well to the opera format? You know, it's for me. Opera is my mother. 
uh, for some reason, which is bizarre, loved opera. Mm. She she came through two residential schools. Mm. She w- married my father straight out of residential school, and yet she developed this appetite for opera, which, mm. as we all know, is kind of feels like a really high art, mm. colonial kind of art form. She loved it. And so I spent a lot of time. She took me to my first opera. And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what it was about opera that spoke to her. Mm. And it is the human voice. Mm. It is the, and especially because of the women who have voice in opera, even though they mostly end up dead, uh, which is also a trope in opera, but they sing their hearts. And it's just a clearer kind of, a clearer kind of conduit between, I think, the human being and the creator or the divine that spoke to my mother. My God, she loved the opera. She listened to Saturday Afternoon at the operas. Mm. She went to operas when she could. The last thing she did before she died, just weeks before she died, my partner took her to an opera here mm. at the new center. And mm-hmm. and she loved to dress up. She would wear her like Ron Everett cape and go and, and be. <laughs> she, there was something about the opera that spoke to her. So there's something about the human voice that is that breaks down barriers mm. and you can get into people's hearts easier and faster. And since we're in that moment in Canadian history where it feels like Canadians are actually willing to hear things, different a different narrative, then this is another way to get into people who may not know or may not may have been unwilling to listen. Now you you mentioned that that there is nothing that we 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 have tangible left from the Biothic um uh, including language. So I'm wondering about opera. You generally think of, of uh, Italian, Spanish, German, you know. Um, so w- is, it, is it being sung in English? Is there any indigenous language wording or anything of that nature being used within the opera? There's certainly Beothic language used in oh, it there as is. well too, yes. Oh, great. We have that 300, those, yes. those 300 words to okay. draw on. And you so, use them well? Is that what you're saying? Well, we, we have no grammar. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, Cormac didn't, so it's not that we can have her speaking in yes. the language at any yes. point. And that yes. would be problematic. I think it's challenging as yeah. well. But again, to take the power of those words, um, huishme, the word uh, laughing. Mm. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's various words that we use in there. There's a the beautiful, one of the most, my favorite moments from the opera is where uh, Shana did it notices this sketch of a bird that Cormac has made. And she picks it up and says, obsit, which mm. is the word for little bird. Mm. Those kind of little moments are, it's a connection to kind mm-hmm. of that and kind of, again, hopefully keeping that yeah. alive a little yeah, yeah. as well, right? Yeah. Nice. So, so yeah, I would say musically, some of the moments where, where the, and again, like opera is very good at elaborating. Musically, you can elaborate. And, you know, oftentimes you don't want a ton of text when you're elaborating music because then you lose the text. So having those words here and there, like the who ishme section, allows me to kind of do, you know, fantastical things with the music while mm. just relying on that one this might be a terrible reference, but it's like in the Christian religion and writing like the Amen mm. and the Amen mm, that's mm. used in the whole thing, or, you sure. know, that kind of thing, right? right. So it's, uh, I mean, it certainly has a sacred quality to it as well, I think, right? You got, do you have anything to add to that? Or? Yeah, I mean, you know, we sing in English because that is the tongue we've been left, mm. all of us, you sure. know, who don't have our languages, right. who, for whatever reason, there, there is a conceit in, you know, it, at the beginning of the opera, Marion is singing. She's singing in English because we have, I wrote in English. Mm-hmm. Dean set the music for the English. But in our heads, she's singing in, in Beothic, of, of right? Course, yeah. And so Cormac is the, the other is going sure. like, what are you saying? I don't understand what you're saying. So we mm. know what she's saying. It's like yes. we suddenly understand Beothic <laughs> and she suddenly can speak it. Right. And then so because the story is so much about 
finding ways to communicate with each other across culture, the language also works into that. Mm. Um, and it makes it accessible for the audience who's going to come to see it. Like, you know, English is the language that most of the people on this land we call Canada share right now. Mm. And so they can come and they can hear this story in a language they understand peppered with the Beothic words that we were able to weave in, which mm -hmm. does make it kind of special, connected, spiritual to uh, to the people who we're trying to honor. Right. Um, so we're going to we're going to keep going for about another four minutes or so, mm -hmm. and then we're going to cut out and uh, and and uh, get to our next guest. But um, is there is there any other um, elements involved with the with this opera in terms of a, a set? You've got people, obviously, you've got the orchestra. Uh, any multi, uh, any visuals, other visuals elements that are being included? Oh, wait, it's wait until you see it. It is so fantastic. I mean, our designer Cami Koo has designed a a huge kind of embracing backdrop that looks like a forest hanging from the ceiling in mm. the in the space. <laughs> And there are one of our artists is um, has done projections that were he did photographs in Newfoundland, so those are being projected on the mm. set. We use Shauna Diffith's sketches themselves, mm. which we project. <laughs> We've taken Cormac's writing off them and then put it back on, so we mm. get to see both what she wrote and yes. then what he did. There's banners that fly in from the ceiling of uh, one of the visual artists. There's banners that dance in and are planted into the ground at the end. There's like it's it's just like more music, more more <laughs> art, more. It's until the whole stage is full of like art of indigenous artists mm. that is all responding to. On a dithit. so it is. It's huge. It's a. It's a huge, and yet the space is really bare. There's like earth, and then they bring in a table, and that's kind of you know Megan's mamatik comes in at halfway through the piece and starts to disrupt the space. So we go from si kind of like the square white space of Cormac's house. Mm -hmm. Once she starts remembering her people, it brings in all of the of the indigenous elements, and the space transforms. It's massive. No. And so much color as well that's right. brought in eventually, mm -hmm. you yep. know. There's a bleakness to it for sure. And Marion yeah. is um, <clears throat> in that huge space is so alone at times, which is very appropriate. But again, as these interpretations come in, the stage just bursts to life like a bouquet of wildflowers or something, you know. It's incredible. That's a that's a great description, and it, and I really get the sense from what you're describing. It goes back to exactly what you said. I think at the top of the show was this is not about the end; it's about the beginning, and it is about life, the continuation of life. and And I get that sense from hearing you both speak so passionately mm -hmm. about this. Uh, it certainly has uh, has got my interest. I want to I want to see this. I definitely <laughs> want to see this. And I can see that you guys are just beaming as you're talking about it. So it's obviously something you're both very proud of, and that's really great to see. And I wish you all the best with it. And and so let's talk about this uh, now a little bit. So as we mentioned before, it's going to be opening tomorrow, the 16th. Opens, Opens tonight. 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 Sorry, today the 16th. Yep. Look at May that. I'm 16th, a day yeah. behind. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so it opens tonight in Toronto at the uh, Imperial Oil, Oil Theatre, and it runs until the 25th. Mm -hmm. And uh, it also is going to be going to Newfoundland and Labrador for performances in on June 21st. Oh, mm -hmm. how interesting. I on know, Indigenous our day. day. Uh, exactly. That, I think that was uh, tough, uh, <laughs> Opera on the Avalon's right. idea to kind of put it at that time. And, and is it only a single day there? Is only yeah. One performance, yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a building audience mm -hmm. of opera happening in Newfoundland. Right. We've got a fairly big space that okay. we're performing in down yeah. there. Uh, so, again, it couldn't be a better day. Right. Well, congratulations. 
Uh, and I, I certainly wish you both all the best with this. And, and it sounds wonderful. Congratulations to the staff, to uh, the cast, to all the people involved backstage and the set designers and, uh, and everyone that you have involved. It's, uh, it sounds like a, a wonderful presentation. It, it, there is a romanticism that has about it, a mystique that it has, a mystery. So I really hope uh, that it, um, and, and from what your description of the set sounds like, it sounds, sounds wonderful. So, and I'm sure the music is going to come to life, as you mentioned. I can't wait to hear those, uh, those uh, sound effects that you've got included and uh, playing with words, the sounds that are coming out of people's mouths, etc. Sounds like a very interesting performance all around. Congratulations. Thanks so much, Dave. And uh, best with the opening tonight at the uh, Imperial Oil Theatre in Toronto. And it runs until the 25th. And um, uh, Shauna Dithit is what it's called, if you're interested in looking that up. And, and by the way, there's lots of information uh, online about uh, mm-hmm. Shauna Dithit as well. So you can get more history about that. Uh, congratulations once again. And uh, perhaps uh, we'll have you back on a later date once this has sort of made the rounds and continues on. Any, any future dates other than the 21st? We're hoping so. We're hoping. I mean, a lot of opera people are coming in to see it. So, right. yes. Great. All right. Congratulations once again. And thanks for coming in. All right. Thank you. Thank and welcome back to Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Online from Ottawa, we have Cody Coyote. And uh, he's someone that uh, you may have heard being played here on Element FM. You may have also heard him on the air because he is a DJ here. And he's going to be uh, starting a new, uh, a new program that is going to be aired in both the Toronto and Ottawa areas. Uh, overnight, well, in the evening, I should say. It's from 7 to 11 p.m. Now, we don't have a start date right now, but it is in the mix, and he's starting to work on that right now. And we're very excited about that because um, Cody uh, certainly is uh, is a guy that uh, has some energy about him. He certainly he brings a lot to our family here at Element FM. Cody, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you on. Hey, Ani, Miigwech, and... Uh Great to hear from you. I haven't talked to you in a while, man. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, good. Say, so you were you were born and raised in the Ottawa area. Uh yes, I was born and raised in Ottawa, but uh, I'm actually Ojibwe from the Tatchewan First Nation. Um, my my father was adopted in the '60s, and that's how we ended up over here in Ottawa. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I, I spent my whole life here, man. Like I'm 27, and I, I found my way home two years ago. You know, so oh yeah. So what, what yeah. was that experience like for you, going about going back home and getting getting connected? Well, you know, like this this music journey, it kind of brings you every which way, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I ended up in northern Ontario, doing some touring over by uh, Temiskaming, mm-hmm. and um, I ended up in North Bay where I met uh, my first cousin, and uh, that that was just like huge, right? <laughs> and everywhere I had been throughout like northern Ontario, you know, whether it was like Thunder Bay. You know, going all around there, I, I just asked people, hey, do you know anyone with this last name? And they would tell me, like, yeah, I know that person. And just from, like, word of mouth and connecting with different people, I was able to, to make that connection, right? And uh, that, you know, words can't even describe, like, what I was feeling in that moment, to be sitting across a table from my first cousin and be able to, you know, try to puzzle everything together, right? But but it is an interesting experience, is it? Because they 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 bring things forward that either you've heard about or stuff that that uh, you 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 may have uh, touched on a little bit. I know from my own experience when I met some of my extended family uh, from Six Nations and and the area, 
uh, and they brought pictures, and I don't know if this happened to you, they brought pictures of, of my, my family uh, from years ago that, uh, th- that I hadn't met, but there they were. I saw my, my oldest sister uh, in a picture as, as a young girl, you know, like two or three years old, and I was like, wow. If there was any doubt of connection, right there it is, right in front of you. So I don't know if you've had that experience yet, but but that uh, it it only you know it it it, it sort of brings that mystery uh, mystery back into reality for you. Definitely, and like you know, having the opportunity to, to speak with like my great uncle and just kind of you know get things put into perspective, you know, on uh, on how he was he was in residential school mm. and uh, my my grandmother went to residential school mm. and my father being put up for adoption mm. and um you know feeling feeling the intergenerational effects from that too like that's that's really what what drives me to you know advocate for kids who are in care um you know before the radio gig before you know making music and touring and stuff i was working as a child and youth worker in a foster home right Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's where I thought I was able to advocate the most, just because like I understood the intergenerational effects, where they understood the direct effect. And um, you know, since then, like I've I've been connected with an extensive family of sixty scoop, uh, sorry, sixty scoop adoptees, like Colleen Cardinal, uh, Elaine Kicknasway. A lot of, a lot of people have helped me along my journey in terms of like you know identity and reclaiming you know what was taken away from me you know, years ago kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Yeah, and your family. Uh, so so how does, you mentioned intergenerational trauma, uh, how do you see that working in in and through you, through what you are trying to do musically? So for me, like, I, I focus on the positives, right? But mm-hmm. I also share, and uh, I understand, you know, with being vulnerable comes strength. And... um being a public speaker and sharing my story about how I face bullying um, and like articulating my story through my music. Like, I, I have one song um, off my, my last record that I put out uh, entitled Mama Away, which means all together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Bloodline. And um, I'm just literally talking about growing up in Ottawa's East End, mm-hmm. you know, the things that I witnessed and just trying to, trying to reclaim that part of me and finding my, you know, my identity and finding my family. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I think it definitely ties in to the work that I do mm-hmm. because it's like speaking speaking our truth, you know, you'll, you'll come to understand that other people have the same truth and there's a parallel there, right? Mm. And um, for me, I don't care about money. I don't care about any of that. I just care about like reaching people in a good way. And at the end of the day, there's so many people that come up to me and whether it's in private, whether they're, with their friends and they'll just like share their experiences. And I'm like, Hey, this is what I want to do with my life. These are the people that I want to reach. And, um, I think ultimately like when I put it into music, it's just trying to provide hope. Mm. So, so listen, you're, you're, uh, we're all pretty excited about the new show. You're going to be starting to launch here in both the Toronto and Ottawa areas, the beat it's uh, going to be called. And you're going to be doing that from 7 PM to 11 PM nightly. That's, that's cool, man. And congratulations. How do you feel about that? Miigwech. It's deadly. It's one, one heck of an opportunity and I, I can't wait. You mm. know, like it's, it's being able to hit two different platforms at the same time. And as someone who advocates for bringing people together, I think that's like a really, really great way to do so. So, so I'm, I'm so, excited. 
So when you say that, what what are you thinking about now as you look forward to putting this show on the air? You talk about bringing things together. You talk about family. You talk about interge- intergenerational trauma and hope. You talk about looking at the positive. What do you want to bring to your show in the evenings for people? In the evening, like I just want to rock with people. You know, like we we look at how things were in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where there was like a lack of representation of Indigenous people in the music industry as a whole. Mm. And as an artist, as a human being, as an Indigenous person from Turtle Island, like I just want to advocate for the stories. I want to advocate for the people. And if someone has like an event that's coming up, like let me know because I'm about community. I have been heavily involved here in Ottawa. I have also been to Toronto performing over there. And um, I understand that there's representation of Indigenous folk in both uh, demographics. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, like, I look at it this way, like it's our time. It's our time to be heard. It's our time to share. And it's our time to be represented in a good way. So I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to bring that to the table. <laughs> Great. It sound, sounds very exciting. And uh, once again, that's going to be from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. nightly in Ottawa and Toronto, so at 95.7 and 106.5 on Element FM. And, of course, people can always listen online as well. So uh, that's oh, the yeah. other plus. Awesome. So, uh, uh, Cody, I know uh, we're, we're almost out of time here. So um, is there anything else you want to add just before we, we depart and have to move on? Yeah, if, uh, if anyone's in the Ottawa area in uh, September, on the 13th, I'm going to be performing at the National Arts Center's fourth stage for the third time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show is kicking off at 8.30. If people want to get tickets, they can go on the NAC's website. Um, and if people have been there previously, we've sold out uh, the venue twice already, and that was last year. So um, I'm quite looking forward to that because I'm going to be performing a lot of stuff off my uh, upcoming album, mm-hmm. my Ink and Egg, which is going to be released in the summer. All right. So, Cody, we got to leave it there. Thanks uh, so much for uh, coming on the air, uh, Miigwech, for speaking with us today. And all the best with the new show and, of course, with your with all your musical endeavors and with your public speaking and all the good work you're doing with youth. Congratulations, oh. man. Team Miigwech. All right. All right. So, Talk to you later. I also want to say Nyawa Miigwech, Wanishi, and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy, Aidan Wolf, and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Janet Lamb, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zaboken, Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa Miigwech, and thanks for listening. This show was brought to you in part by APTN.